Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord great praise together. Thank you, Jesus, for this day you've granted us. Thank you for this day. We worship you. We praise you. We magnify you, Lord. Hallelujah. I'm glad to be in your presence. I'm glad to be in the house of God today. Thank you, Jesus. good place to be on a Sunday morning in the house of the Lord. Can we take a moment just to lift our hands together, surrendering to Him for the next few minutes of time. God, that Your will would be done in this place. That You would speak to me and let Your Word be amplified through me to this people. That we could receive what You would have for this day. And Lord, we're going to give You the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you, Pastor Chance, for the opportunity to be in this wonderful church. And we love your pastor and his wife and family. We thank God for them, as well as Sister Chance. So good to see you today. And uh, my, my wife and a couple of my kids are with us. And I noticed that my wife and Sister Chance are kind of dressed alike today. So I guess that, that's good. But. Um, I've known and honored and respected your pastor for many years and uh, appreciate him and the ministry that God has performed through him and specifically here. And there's several people in the building that I know and I'm glad to see you after a little while. I, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't raised in church. I was uh, raised in, some of you may have heard, a little town called Sicily, Iowa. So, oh, glory to God. Come on, the, great, the great metropolis of which you must slow down when you drive through there. But uh, I, someone invited me to church when I was 13 years old. A Sunday school teacher invited me to church. So I went to church upon the invitation. They said there was an evangelist and his wife that were going to be there. So I went, and he told me, he said, he said look, you need to come. He said, there will be girls there, and they'll have candy. What else, you know, what else do you need? I said, okay, count me in. I'll go. So, Pastor Chance, I went to that little small country church and. and Catahoula Parish, I went to that church, and when I walked in, there was one girl there, and I got a piece of peppermint. But in spite of the deceit and treachery, something got a hold of me in that service. When the evangelist and his wife began to sing a song that was new to me, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And from that moment till now, which has been at least five years ago, from that moment till now, I've desired to be in the presence of God. Haven't always got it right. Haven't always said the right thing, done the right thing. But there was something implanted in my heart and my spirit that I want to be in the presence of God. You see, the secret is just keep coming back to His presence. No matter what happens to you, no matter what you're going through, no matter your faults and your failures and your shortcomings and your sins, make your way back into the house of God. Because I promise you, you'll find a God here. You'll find a Savior here who will embrace you, forgive you, welcome you back, and be good and gracious to you. Does anybody know that Jesus I'm talking about right now? And I just have confidence that we can make it. Every one of us can make it. Now, you probably remember some fellowship meetings back in the day. And uh, so, after I received the Holy Ghost as a young teenager, I started going to this fellowship meeting. It's amazing, honestly, that I'm even still in church now, to be honest with you. <laughs> because some of those, it was basically one preacher trying to out-preach the other by preaching as hard as he could possibly about anything and everything, make-up stuff. It didn't matter. <laughs> and then the next preacher had to do better than that preacher before him, so... And here I am, just a, a teenager. One preacher got up and he said this. He said, you know the story of uh, the, the ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. Five made it, five didn't. And then he said, that means only 50% of you are going to make it anyway. Well, I'm a young teenager. I'm in the lower percentile, certainly. What's, I, what's the possibilities that I can make it. Well, the next preacher, not to be outdone, Pastor, he got up and he said, you think that's something? Now, this sounds like a joke, but it really happened. He said, you think that's something? 
There were ten lepers. And some of y'all know the rest of that story. And only one of them came back. So only 10% of you are going to make it anyway. And he's basically preaching to a house full of preachers. I'm thinking, how can I possibly make it? But you know what I found out? You know what I found out? That every one of us can make it. Everybody in this. As a matter of fact, there's no reason for you not to. As a matter of fact, once you have a covenant with God, it's going to be hard for you not to make it. Because God is for you, and God is going to help you make it through everything and anything that you face. God is with us. He wants you to make it. He, the whole plan is to make a way so you can make it. So I'm telling you, no matter where you're from, what's happened, where you've been, God is for you, and you can make it. Everybody in this building, even you who think, I don't, I don't think I can measure up to everybody else, you can make it in Jesus' name because he is for you. Do you hear me? The blood was shed for you. The spirit was poured out for you. You're going to make it in Jesus' name. I want you to tell somebody next to you, you're going to make it. Tell them, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. I believe that. I'm going to read from... The book of Acts chapter 20, and you're hearing just a few verses beginning at verse 6. And thank you again, Pastor. What an honor and privilege to be in this wonderful church this morning. And I ask God to speak to my heart and perhaps that he would minister to you through that. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Acts 20, verse 6, And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Everybody say long-winded preacher. And just so you know, that's not me. Nobody's ever compared me to Paul in any respect, even this one, so don't, no worries. But he preached till midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together, and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus. We've got a young guy named Eutychus sitting up high, higher than this ceiling, I'm sure, just way up there in the loft. He's sitting up there, on the, and the Bible says... That as they were gathered together, this young man, he fell into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, we've already determined that, haven't we? As he was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Luke's wording uh, shows us indeed that he did die. He didn't just go unconscious, he died. But Paul went down. Paul quit preaching just long enough. Isn't that good? He stopped preaching. A little pause here in the preaching, he said. And he went over and he fell on Eutychus, embracing him, said, Trouble not yourselves, his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, the man still not through preaching. Preaches from midnight, stops for a miracle, and then he preaches on until the break of day. Some of you people know what time that is, right? Break of day. If you do, tell me, when is it? <laughs> Six o'clock or so, right? Till break of day. So he departed. They brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. I want to preach this word to you. A good place to fall. A good place to fall. I thank you, Lord. I praise you. Let your will be done in this place. And we give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. It's, it's interesting to me about people falling asleep in the Bible. There are a lot of instances, you know, of Adam, he fell asleep. When he fell asleep, he woke up missing a rib and with a wife. So be careful. Now, if you want a wife, that might be what you do. I don't know. But anyway, then we read about Samson. He fell asleep. And he woke up with a haircut and a big list of problems. Jonah fell asleep, thrown overboard, and a great fish took him to the depths of hell, he said. You've got to be careful about falling asleep. Falling asleep. Somebody came to me one time when I was pastoring after a message. They came up to me and they said, Pastor, we tried. I tried. I tried to stay awake. I had a hard time. I worked all day and I had a hard time staying awake. 
and I, I fell asleep while you were preaching. And I told him, I said, that's quite all right because sometimes I fall asleep while I'm preaching. Don't worry about it. We have these sleeping stories that we all go through. I was on an airplane one time with my wife, and I'd fallen asleep, as I often do on an airplane. And when it landed, we were getting off the plane, everybody getting their stuff. They're in the, you know, they're in the aisle getting all their stuff that's shifted up there, and they're getting all their stuff. And, and uh, my wife nudges me, wakes me up, and when I wake up, people are coming out, getting their luggage, and there are several people pointed at me with their, their phone. They got their phone at me, and they're videoing or taking pictures, and I'm, and I'm thinking, what in the world? What's going on? What are they doing? And my wife, I said, yes, my wife, my wife told me. She said, well, you fell asleep, you were snoring so loud, you were kind of drooling out of the side of your mouth, so people were taking video and pictures of you while you were sleeping. And I'm like, did it ever dawn on you possibly maybe to wake me up? <laughs> but we, we have, have these stories of falling asleep and falling asleep in church again. Well, we teach our kids, we bring them, we put them under the seats, and we try to beg them, go to sleep, please. So why should we be surprised if when we get older we go to sleep and fall asleep in church as well? We're trained to do that, to fall asleep in church. But I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at this man named Eutychus because this young boy, all we know about him, all we know about Eutychus is that he fell asleep in church, fell down on the ground and died and was resurrected. You don't know anything else about him. So, so why, why is it that Luke, who wrote Acts as well as the Gospel of Luke, why would he put Eutychus' name there? Why not just say some young kid fell asleep and died and rose? But no, we're going to know for thousands of years it was Eutychus. It was Eutychus. He might not. Luke didn't write and tell you who the name of the man who was paralyzed, who was resurrected or, or, the, or, or was healed, or the guy who was dead that came alive. He didn't tell you about the, the name of the woman with issue of blood. He didn't even tell us Jairus' daughter's name who was healed. But he does tell us Eutychus. Why do we have Eutychus? Why is the name Eutychus? Why did Luke say we need to put that name in the Bible? I believe the reason is because what the name means. The name Eutychus means fortunate. Fortunate. And here's the thing about Eutychus. Eutychus, it's for, you're fortunate that when you fail, you fell in a good place. You see, when you fail, you were in the presence of God. When you fail, you were where somebody was preaching the word of God. You fail where people were fellowshipping and calling on the name of Jesus. Yes, it's terrible that you fell, and it's terrible that you died, but thank God when you fell, you fell in a good place. You fell in a place that you could be resurrected and restored. You fell in a place where everything could be brought back and made new. You fell in a good place. And I want you to know today that this is a good place. It's a good place to be in the house of God. And if you fall, make sure you fall in a good place. I, I want to tell you this today. You're fortunate to be in the house of God. You're fortunate to be here. And I'm glad that you're here. You could be many places. But there was something in you that said, I want to go into the presence of God. I want to go to church. I know I could do this. I could sleep in. I could go here. I could go there. But thank God there's something in you that said, I want to be in the presence of God. And I believe God's going to honor you for that and reward you for your determination to be in the house of God. You're fortunate to be here. It's a good, it's a good place it's a good place to be. And whatever it is you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, whatever's going through on in your life, this is a good place to be. Because we all know how it feels to fall. Somebody said, I've fallen, fallen in hard times. Boy, isn't that the truth? I'm falling into financial difficulty. I don't know how I'm going to pay my mortgage or put food on the table. We've, we've all had these times, probably most of us at some point. I've fallen into sickness. I've got a sickness that, to which they say there's no remedy, there's no cure. And the doctor one and doctor two, they say there's nothing they can do about it. But thank God we can come here and fall in the presence of God and get hear what Dr. Jesus has to say about it. But we fall, we fall into doubt, we fall into fear, we fall into problems, we fall into chaos. We fall into marital problems, we fall into problems with our kids. And all of these problems and all of these things that we deal with. Say, God, how can I make it through it? Let me tell you, you're fortunate to be in the right place to make it through these things. Make sure you fall in a good place. Eutychus, you could have been anywhere. You could have fallen anywhere. But thank God you fell in a good place. Now, I don't, I don't come to fault him. Some people have talked about him in a kind of a negative way. My, my, my question is, how did everybody not fall asleep? Now, if you're preaching to midnight and you're preaching the break of day, 
How did anybody stay awake? But Eutychus, he's a young person, had a busy day, big day tomorrow, and he tried his best to stay awake, but he was overcome by sleep, and it took him out. And not only did he fall asleep, he fell out of the third loft and fell to the ground dead. What, what, a, what a terrible fall that was, to fall to that degree. And we don't know anything else about him before or after, but we do know there was a man of God in the house that said, hey, I've got to stop preaching long enough to go over there. I, out of my peripheral vision, I see something falling. And he goes over to him and he puts his body on him and prays, no doubt. And the hand of God moves upon that boy and resurrects him. And Eutychus, let me tell you, you're fortunate, son. You're fortunate that you fell in a good place. You fell where there was a man of God. You fell where there were people praying. You fell where people were worshiping. You fell in a good place, and you're fortunate, son, where you fell. And I want you to know wherever you fall, make sure you fall this way. Can I, can I tell the young people, maybe young marriage and young, just young people, just for a moment, let me tell you this. If you fall, let me change that. When you fall. When you fall, when you do something you shouldn't, when you say something you shouldn't, when condemnation comes upon you and tells you you'll never measure up to what everybody else is, and when, when that voice tells you you might as well just give up and fall out that way and go back into the, the world and just leave the church and go follow after that which seems to already have consumed you anyway, and it pulls you and tells you just to quit church altogether. Can I tell you what you need to do? You need to come back and fall in a good place. And you might say, well, I don't know if God will forgive me. I'm telling you he will because he said he would. You mean he'll forgive me again and again? Yes, he will. He's, he doesn't give up on loving you. He doesn't give up on his mercy. He doesn't quit after a period of time and say, I think I'm not going to love you anymore. You, you, need, you need to quit playing this game that we played as kids. You know, we hold, we hold a flower and he loves me. He loves me not. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Come on, somebody. Help me preach now. <laughs> he loves me. He loves me not. Let me change that. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. And you don't want it to be. Thank you. You don't want it to be that the last one is she loves me not. Because you know what you're going to do? You're going to throw it away and grab another flower. Let me try this one more time. <laughs> but you see, God, don't, he doesn't play that game. See, we come to church sometimes. We think, God, you know, he loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. You, you, need, to, you need to quit playing that game. He doesn't play that way. He doesn't give up on loving you. He doesn't give up on caring about you. Even, even the, the whole time you're running from him, he's running to you. Come on, come on. I, you know, young people need to hear what I'm telling you right now because so many of them get so frustrated by their sin. They give up and they leave and never to be seen again because they, they feel this condemnation. You need to realize he, he doesn't give up on loving you. Somebody said he doesn't give up easy. He doesn't give up at all. Easy, hard. At, at any point, he does not give up on you. And, some, and, and I believe we're going to have a great revival of prodigals. Your sons, your daughters, your friends, your spouses, different ones, workmates that have gone away from the house of God. You just keep the doors open. Keep the lights on. And be sure to keep the air condition working. In because some, one day they're going to make their way back. They're going to realize life isn't out there. Life is in here. I said life is in here. We've got to make sure we got it all right. When they come back, make sure they fall here. Fall here. Fall here. If you fall, fall here. I was, I was preaching just two or three months ago in a church, and there was a beautiful young lady in the church that was involved in the, in the chorale. She was a singer. Uh, she worshipped. and she Just a beautiful young lady in the, in the church, about 18 years old. She taught Sunday school. She was involved, raised in church from a child, raised in church her whole life. And during altar service, she was standing there sobbing and praying. And finally, I went up to her and asked her, I said, can I help you? Is there something that I can help you with? And she said, nobody in this building knows it. And they would probably be ashamed of me if they did know it. 
She said, but for the last couple of months or so, I've been fighting a spirit of suicide that's been upon me, telling me I'm not, I have no use and no value, and I might as well, no identity, and I might as well take my life. This was somebody you would never expect. You would, you would never expect that person, that young person in church to be that person. But I want you to know life is real, and there's problems that are real that we face. And just because we're here doesn't mean we're not going to be tempted. We're not going to face problems and situations. doesn't mean we're not going to fall some times but I'm telling you make sure you fall here I'm glad I was I'm glad she was at an altar praying where somebody could pray with her and say you're gonna make it you are valuable you count God sees you God loves you just fall right here if you fall fall right here I said if you fall fall right here fall right here young people just keep on coming back it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what you've done because the, here, here's the great thing about it. A lot of our prodigals and our friends, our loved ones, they have a covenant with God. You see, if they were baptized in Jesus' name, by the way, how many of you are glad you've taken on the name of Jesus in baptism? Amen. And if you haven't, this is a good day to do it. But here's the thing, here's the thing to understand. When you take on his name, you enter a covenant. And when you enter a covenant with God, he says, everything I have is yours, everything you have is mine. And he, he even said, you know what the Lord said? He said, you might forget the covenant. You may forget you made a covenant with me, but I'll never forget. That's why even if you're far from God, even if you have failed God, you might say, well, I feel like I'm a million miles away from God. You feel like you've journeyed so far from God that you're so far uh, from reaching. You can't be reached. and You, you might say, well, I'm, I'm a drug addict or I'm an alcoholic, I'm into all types of perversion and maybe agnostic, leaning toward atheism that used to be in the house of God, that at one point took on the name of Jesus. And they're where, where they're sitting right now, sitting in a bad place in their mind. They might think, I can never come back to God. But I want you to know something. They're not as far from God as you might think they are. You don't want to know why? Because if they're a million miles away, all they have to do is this right here, just stop. And turn. Now here's the thing, you gotta be careful when you turn. The reason you gotta be careful when you turn is because there's somebody running after you, see. There's a father that's running after you. When you stop and turn, you gotta be careful he might knock you down. Because he's gonna hug you and he's gonna embrace you and he's gonna cover you. He's gonna love you. The truth of the matter is, when you come to God, you don't have to go a million miles back because God will run a million miles to where you are. Just fall here. I said fall here fall here. God is able. We've all fallen. We all know what it feels like. Come on, even, even all of us have been in church, like I said, 13. It's been at least five years ago. The, the five plus years I've been in church. Don't laugh about that. Five plus years I've been in church. Plus, there's a long plus. And like I said, I ain't always got it right. I always said the right thing, done the right thing, gone to the right places. And there's been times when a voice would tell me, you might as well just quit. But you know what I remembered, Pastor? Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And I said, if I can just go back one more time. And I made my way back to the house of God, and I fell in a good place. And I said, I've fallen, God, but I'm going to fall right here. Where I can experience the mercy and the grace of God. When you fall, fall in a good place. somebody in the building today that you you came maybe because out of expectation or someone asked you to or you felt like you needed to please someone by coming to the house of God but in your mind even in the last little while you thought I don't know if this is for me and maybe I should just not go to church again but you came one more time and this one more time that you came is God speaking to you tell you I'm not giving up on you no matter how you feel no matter what's going on in your life make sure you fall in a good place is there anybody in the building glad you fell in a good place? It doesn't matter how old we are, how long we've been around. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even since we've known God, we haven't always got it right, but we always knew where to go to get it right. Fall this way. Eutychus, I'm glad that when you fell, a man of God saw you. I'm glad you didn't fall out that way. I'm glad you fell this way. You fell in a good place. And we're not going to make fun of you. We're not going to talk about you falling asleep. We're not going to talk about the bad things that happened to you. You know what we're going to do? We're just going to stretch our bodies over you. We're going to breathe life back into you. 
we're going to watch resurrection and life come back to you because you've fallen in a good place. And everybody's fallen from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve on. There hasn't been anybody that hasn't fallen. Fallen. Right? No, of course, Jesus is God in flesh. But other than him, all, all everybody else, we've all fallen. He hasn't always come back. Everybody's fallen. Am I right? Come on, even Humpty Dumpty fell these days. Come on, deep preaching now. Humpty Dumpty. He sat on a wall. Anybody help me right now? Humpty Dumpty had a, a what? A great fall. Yeah. He had a great fall. And it was so busted up and so shattered into pieces that all the king's horses and all the king's men. Ooh, the anointing's here now. Humpty Dumpty preaching. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put him back together again. But I want you to know we've got a king who can put everybody back together again. We've got a king who can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. We've got a king who can put you back together again. When you fall, fall this lean this way. Lean this way because somebody is going to help you when you are falling. And my God can put you back together again. Is there anybody in the building you've ever been shattered? Your life has ever been in chaos. But God put you back together again. Somebody ought to give God praise. Somebody ought to say, thank God he put me back together again. Thank God he put me back together again. Fall. Got to make sure you're falling in a good place. This is a good place. Pastor, this is a good place. I appreciate your pastor, his heart, his vision. I appreciate that this is a good place to fall. I believe this is a place where you fall that somebody's going to catch you and somebody's going to help you. Nobody's going to come to you and Ask you a thousand questions of where you've been. Why'd you do that? How many times you do that? Where'd you do that? I believe when somebody comes back here, there's going to be somebody that's going to catch him and embrace him and say, oh, this is all you got to say. I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad you're back. I'm so glad you're here. I know how it feels where you were. Thank God we made it back to a place of refuge. We made it back to a place. When you fall, fall in a good place. Three and a half years ago, my 16-year-old son fell. He played basketball. He was a junior. He played. He was a starter on the varsity team. He played for a, a school in the Baton Rouge area called Central Private. And I'm saying this for a reason, so please listen to the story. The, the, the school he went to, it was a predominantly white school, Central Private. And in our district, we played Southern Lab. So, some of you probably know of Southern Lab. It's the, the high school extension of Southern University. Southern Lab is predominantly a black school. It was, we were playing them at Southern Lab. So our team was playing at Southern Lab. And we just had a small enclave of our fans. We were sitting up in the bleachers, myself and some of the other parents. And, and the rest of the gym was filled with loud and boisterous and very happy Southern Lab fans and parents because they were beating us pretty badly at halftime. I like to say the reason they were beating us because our guys played beneath the rim. Their guys played above the rim. <laughs> some of y'all know what I'm talking about. So at halftime, we were getting beat pretty badly. So they went to the locker room. When they went to the locker room, the coach had the team standing as it was time to come back in, and it was going over a play that they wanted to run as if that would do any good. But anyway, and at that point in time, as they're standing there, my son collapsed. You know what the coach told me? He said, when he collapsed, the team caught him. They caught him. He went into the seizure activity. And they took my 16-year-old son. And they laid him on the slab in that locker room in that cold, damp, concrete slab. 
A young boy for the team ran out just at halftime again. He called out for me, and I thought he said that my son needed water, so I was going to get water. He said, no, 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 he's having seizures. So I ran to the locker room, which is like right through this door. Here's the gym. The locker room was just like right through that door, and I walked. I ran through that door to see my son on that cold slab just laying there. And then after I ran in, there's a, another guy on our team. His dad is a doctor. When he saw me run, he knew he sensed something was wrong, so this doctor ran in. So I run in, and the doctor runs in after me, and my son is here, my 16-year-old son. And the, the, the coach begins to tell us what happened, that he had seizure activity, and the, co- the doctor said, you know, when they come out of seizures, they go limp, he'll be okay. He'll be okay. So they left to go start the second half, just me and the, and the doctor and my son on the slab. And as he's laying there, the, the, the doctor says, we're going to roll him over on his back. He'll be okay. So when I reached down and I put my hand on his chest because he was facing that away from me, I noticed there was no movement. And then I gazed into his face, and his face had turned an ashen gray color. And I asked the doctor, I said, is he breathing? The doctor checked immediately, and he said, he's not breathing. Call 911. So the doctor frantically began CPR. He began working on my son. They just assumed that it was seizure, and that was all it was to it. But the truth is the seizure was not the problem at all. It was just a symptom of something that was much worse. And I ran out, I ran out into the gym on the corner, and I called 911. And then I said, can anybody help us, please? Is there anybody that can please help us? My son needs help. Can anybody help us? And I went back into the locker room, and I knelt down by my son. And the doctor was working. He was sweating. He was frantic. He was working. I could tell he was frantically working on my son, giving compressions and working on him to try, try to resurrect, try to save him. And as he's working on him, I knelt down. I put my hand on my son. I'm trying to pray, and I should know how to pray. I've been in church at least five years. I should know how to pray by now. But, you know, I was overcome by fear, and I couldn't pray. As a matter of fact, I was consumed by fear, and all I could see and sense was death. And I began to think, God, this can't be real. This is, this is just surreal. This cannot be possible. This cannot be happening. And there I was, frantic and trying to pray. And a, a gentleman came in, and he began to help. A guy from uh, Southern Lab, he came in. He started helping the doctor with CPR. And then another couple of minutes go by, and another gentleman comes in. He comes in, he's from Southern Lab, he comes in, he helps for a minute, and then he leaves. And when he leaves, he returns in just a few minutes with, a, with an AED. Y'all know the, the AED, the defibrillating device. He comes in, he comes in with the AED, and they, they take my, my son, they take, move his shirt and cut his shirt, and then they hook all that stuff up to his chest, they hook all that stuff up to him. And I had my hand on him, they said, move, move your hand, I moved my hand, and I watched as they shocked my son, his body convulsed. Off of that slab. And when that happened, Pastor, I lost it. And they had to take me. They drug me out of the room. They came and they took me. And they dragged me out to this corner over here. And here I am on the corner here. And then I'm trying to go back in. And they won't let me back in. And I see people walking by. There's many people walking by. And every face is a face of fear. There seems to be no hope in anybody's face. There seems, seems to be no hope whatsoever in anybody's face. And, and as, they, as they are passing by, I'm standing there. And, I, and as I'm standing there, in just a few minutes, the coach, Southern Labs coach, their head coach of the, the varsity team comes, a tall, stately, very handsome black gentleman. He came over to me, and he put his arm around me. And this is what he said. He said, listen, when I was a little boy, my dad told me, son, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Because one day, you're going to need to know how to pray. And he told me, he said, this is the day that my dad raised me for. This is what he taught me for. And he began to pray with me as he was holding me. And I said, just pray for my son, please. Don't worry about me. Pray for my son. And about that time, out of the bleachers, comes about 20 or 25 or so of of precious ladies from Southern Lab. Now, these are the same ladies that in the first half were dancing and hollering and screaming and just having a big old time at our expense. And believe me, if we would, if the tables were turned, we would have done the same thing. We just wouldn't dance as good, but we would have done the same thing. Are y'all hearing me now? And they assembled over in that corner where me and the coach were. 
and these ladies, and, and they, they, they weren't apostolic ladies. matter of fact, I think just about all of them were, were precious black Baptist ladies. But I'm telling you, they gathered over there, and you know what they began to do? They began to pray. When I couldn't pray, somebody started praying. And they started praying, and they were lifting their hands, saying, in the name of Jesus. Now, let me tell you something. It doesn't matter if you're in a, a public school gym, whatever their rules say. It doesn't matter if it's somebody that you think is your enemy. It doesn't matter if it's somebody who's different from you or even a different religion from you. I'm telling you, when you're in a situation like that, can somebody help me pray? You hear me? Can somebody touch God for me? When I can't pray, can somebody pray? Can somebody touch God for me? And I'm telling you, they started praying and touching God. And there was one short lady among them that came up to me. Now, and again, I'm a pastor. I've been preaching a long time. And she says, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And I wouldn't look. I, was, I just couldn't focus. I wasn't looking at her. So she grabbed me like this. I'm telling you, she grabbed me like this. And she said, look at me. And she grabbed me and she looked me right in the eye. She looked me right in the eye and she said, listen to me. Listen to me. Our God is a miracle working God. I'm talking about on a sweaty gym floor. Somebody touched God when I couldn't touch God. Our God is a miracle working God. Finally, the, the ambulance arrived and I could see through the doorway, and the doctor called me. He said, come go with me, Mr. Martin. So I came, and I got on there with the doctor, and we're in the ambulance. And my son is flailing about. He has no control of his arms or his legs, and he's flailing about, and he can't talk. As a matter of fact, all he could do is every once in a while is make a guttural sound. Just blah. He, can't, he can't talk. He can't communicate. He can't control himself. And, and the doctor told me, he said, I just got to tell you, Mr. Martin, this is serious. I've seen this type of thing. This is serious. He said we had to shock him three times just to get his pulse back. And he was 15 to 20 minutes without his heart working and not breathing, at least. And I know it's a serious situation. It's a serious condition. We got to the emergency room, and there were a lot of people waiting. And they took him, and they held him down. They tied him down. They sedated him. They got him all situated in the emergency room. The cardiologist comes, he shows up, and, and he checks the file, and he talks to the EMS personnel, and he checks the paper, and he walks around, checks, checks out my son, works on him, looks at him, and all that, and over a few minutes of time, then he comes back to the room, calls my wife and I to the back of the room. He said, let me tell you something. I don't think he's going to make it. If he does... He's probably not going to have control of his arms, his legs. He's not going to be able to speak clearly. He's going to have, there's no telling what kind of problems, neurological or brain injury problems he's going to have. And at that point, I'm thinking, I just, I just, just hope he lives. I just hope he lives. I just hope he lives. And uh, so it's about 9 o'clock now, and every, every few minutes I would go up to the bed, and I would lean over, and I would, I would speak in his ear, and I said, Hey, no, I love you, son. I love you, son. There's no sound every once in a while, just a guttural sound. Blah, no, no talking whatsoever. 9 o'clock turns to 10, 11, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. And it was about 3 o'clock in the morning when, again, I went up to him and I leaned down. And I said, hey, I love you. I love you, son. And he said, I love you, too. Boy, I was excited, Pastor. I ran down. I ran at 3 in the morning down the hallway saying, He spoke! He spoke! He spoke! He said something! He said something! 3 o'clock in the morning. Rolls over till the next day. By noon, the next day, by noon, just nine hours later, the cardiologist walks into the room. He walks into the room. My son was sitting up in his bed playing video games with his best friend. He was sitting there playing video games with him. And the cardiologist walks in. He looks. It's all right. That's what I did for a long time. Matter of fact, I still do that. So he, he walked in, and he looked at him, and he 
He looked at the bed, and he looked at the chair, and he looked around, looked at him, went up to him, looked around the room, looked at the paper and all that. Then the same cardiologist came back to the back of the room, and he said, I want you to know something. I'm not a religious man, but I will tell you it's a miracle that he's sitting there doing what he's doing right now. And through that, through that day, there were two other cardiologists that came in, and they said the same thing. One of them was a, was a, a dear Muslim lady, uh, cardiologist, and she came in, and when she looked over the chart and everything, this is what she said. This Muslim lady said, as she looked at my son, she said, I don't know who you're talking to, but whoever you're talking to, keep talking to him because it's a miracle. And I said his name is Jesus. That's who we're talking to. Jesus is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. You've just got to be sure when you fall, you fall in a good place. You've got to fall in a good place. And I want you to know, my son, what we didn't know is he was born with a condition that you see a lot of athletes that die of when they have an episode. It's a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. It's a thick enlarged heart. We didn't know we had it. Because they don't typically test, check for that in regular testing. And now he's 16 years old. And the doctor told us, he said, he could have had an episode at any point in his life from this point, from when he was born till now. He could have been laying in his bed. He could have been sitting at the table. He could have been in a classroom. He could have been riding in a car. At any point in his life, it didn't necessarily have to be exertion. Could have been, but it didn't have to be. But at any point in his life, he could have had an episode. And he said, the reason, the doctor said, the reason that this is fatal, it's 95% fatal. What your son has is 95% fatal. And this is what he said. He said, because typically when they fall, there's nobody to help them. And it could have happened at any point along the way. It could have happened at any point in my son's life. But thank God when he fell. The team caught him. Are y'all hearing me? The team caught him. And not only did the team caught him, somebody began to pray. Somebody began to touch God. He could have fallen by himself and died by himself. But this, as horrific as it was, as terrible and traumatic as it was for him and for us, thank God when he fell, there was a team that caught him. There were people praying. There was a doctor there. Thank God he fell in a good place. And I've just come to tell you, this is a good place. When you fall, fall in here. Because somebody's going to catch you. And somebody's going to resurrect you. Somebody's going to breathe life into you. Somebody's going to pray for you. You don't don't have to be a statistic that came and ne was never heard from again. Fall here. I said fall right here. Fall right here. Fall right here. I'm about done, but there's one other thing I've got to tell you. Fall right here. The doctor said, uh, it's 95, I said 95% fatal. And I told this story at another church three months or so ago. And it was a large church, it had a uh, there was a, doc, a cardiologist in the congregation, I didn't know. A cardiologist who was over the, uh, the uh, university system. And he's dealt with this for many, many years and when I was through preaching, he came up to the pastor. And he said, let me tell you something, pastor. What he's told you, and what he's told the church, is a miracle. He said, but it's a greater miracle than he even understands. And he began to tell the preacher this, and the, they gave me the information. This is what he said. This is what this doctor said. Again, that, this, this, this is new. He said, Noah most likely had... An, an anoxic brain injury resulting from no air, oxygen to his brain, and so forth. He said the cells of the brain begin to deteriorate rapidly. The cells of the brain begin to deteriorate rapidly, and that results in the gurgling sound you heard. 
He said, when you heard that gurgling sound, that means his brain was deteriorating. And then he said this. This cardiologist said this. He should have never lived, talked, or even looked you in the face ever again. He said, it's a miracle that he survived. My son survived that. The next year he graduated with honors in his class. He just completed his second year at LSU in honors. No, come here a second. I know you don't like all this. Just come up here a second. This is my boy right here. He fell in a good place. And you would never know there's anything wrong with him. He can walk and talk. Matter of fact, he talks too much sometimes. But he can talk. He does, he's doing great. And I know he don't like all me bringing him up here, but I just wanted you to see. And just a few months ago, he came to me and said, Dad, I want to talk to you. I feel like that God's been dealing with me about ministry. I feel like he's he already given me a sermon. The first sermon he gave me is remember. And I want to tell people to remember the goodness and faithfulness of God in their life and how good God has been to them. I think we ought to praise God together right now. Would you magnify God in this house? Why don't we stand our feet and magnify the Lord and glorify the Lord? I've got to praise every day when I wake up every night before I go to bed. I've got to praise unto God. I've got to praise unto God. I've got to praise. I've got to praise unto God. I've got to praise unto God. I've got to praise unto God. Good place when you fall, fall in a good place. Let me just stay here for a second. The, the last part of that story I've got to tell you. In that condition, you have to have an AED. You know what I'm talking about? The, the device to hook up the shock. You have to have an AED. Even though he fell in a good place and they caught him, and even though there was a doctor there. If there was no AED there, other than God, of course, I understand, but if there was not an AED there, he would have died because it requires an AED. CPR itself will not save you. You have to have an AED. As a matter of fact, since that point in time, he has a, uh, he has a little defibrillator in his, in his chest. But you have to have an AED. Let me, let me show you how God works. Let me show you how God works. The school didn't have an AED for a long time. They said it had walked away or someone took it. They didn't have an AED. And at that point, they didn't make a priority except for this man. Do you have that picture of that man I gave you? They're not. Okay. okay. He's going to show you a picture. Even, even, though, even though they didn't have one, one man said, we need one. And this man... Coach Augustine, I want you to see him. Now, he's not the varsity coach. He's not the JV coach. He's the middle school coach. He coached the middle school team at Southern Land. And he said, we need an AED in our school. And I know this looks good. Don't get real. I know you're going to get hungry. He said, we need one. We don't have an AED. We need one in our school. So he started raising money over a year prior. He started raising money, selling candy and stuff, snacks at the games to raise money to buy an AED. Several months went by, and he had accumulated a, a, a sum of money, and some in the athletic department came to Coach Augustine and said, Hey, Coach, you got a lot of money. Your, your jerseys that your players are wearing are all raggy, ragged. You need, you, need, you need to buy some new uniforms for your players with this money. You know what he said? No, sir. We're raising money for it. We need an AED in this gym. We're raising money for this AED in this gym. And he kept raising money. And he kept raising money. And this man went and bought an AED. you got to hear this. He bought the AED. And he brought it to his office and put it in his office. Nobody else even knew it was there. He brought it and put it in his office the day before. 
And he's locked in his office. The AED. The day before. And the night of this game. He's not coaching. His team's not playing. As a matter of fact, he had an appointment in Alexandria. So he gets on the road, leaves Baton Rouge to start driving to Alexandria. And as he gets out of Baton Rouge, he gets a phone call that says, Hey, coach, the meeting's canceled. He turns around, drives back toward Baton Rouge. And as he's driving back, he tells his wife, Before I come home, I'm just going to stop by the gym. I just want to see how the team's doing. He walks in, parks, walks into the gym, and he comes and stands at the scorer's table. And he walks to the scorer's table and is standing at the scorer's table. When he hears somebody come out of this room over here, say, can anybody help us? It was me. Is there anybody that can help us, please? The doctor's doing CPR. He's the gentleman that came in second for a minute and helped, and then went, he left and went to his office and he got the AED. Unlocked his office, got it. He's the one that came and hooked it up to my son. He's the one that operated the AED that saved my son's life because he fell in a good place. And God worked all these things. And let me tell you, let me tell you, and let me tell you as a church, you just showing up, you're helping set the stage for a miracle. You when you just greet someone at the door, when you hug a brother or sister, if you teach a class, you may sing, you may play, that's all great too, but you don't have to do all that to be effective and help set the stage for a miracle. Every time you go to the prayer room, every time you embrace them, every time you look somebody in the eyes and say, hey, I love you. Every time you look at somebody and say, hey, man, I miss you, I love you, can I help you? Is there anything I can do for you? Every time you teach a class, every time you teach a Bible study, anything that you do, hear me, anything that you do, you're setting the stage for the miraculous. Somebody might think it doesn't seem to be important. This guy's a hero to me. And people are looking at him. What's that old, what's that old guy doing over there selling that stuff? What's he doing? You might think it doesn't matter at all, but I'm telling you, everything you do, hear me, everything you do, every time, listen, every time you come, every time you lift your hand in church. I said every time you lift your hands in church. You're helping set the stage for the miracle. The great God has done great things in this church, but I'm telling you, the greatest days of this church are ahead of it. What God's going to do in your family, in your friends, in your prodigals, in your loved ones. Uh, amen. People are going to come through these doors. And there's guess what? The reason they're going to keep coming through the doors is because somebody's going to catch them. And somebody's going to do CPR. Somebody's going to breathe life into them. Somebody's going to hook them up to the proper equipment. Somebody's going to help them so that they can make it and survive through everything that they're going through. This is a house of restoration. This is a house of revival. This is a house of anointing. And this is the best place to fall. When you fall, fall right here. Come on, everybody. Clap your hands and worship him. Come on, worship him a moment. Worship Him a moment. Worship the Lord a moment. Magnify the Lord right now. Magnify the Lord in this place. Come on, come on. Come on, brother. Come on, sister. This is the best place to be. This is the best place to be. If you need the Holy Ghost, you ought to come up here. If you need a touch from God, you ought to come up here. You ought to bring your children. You ought to bring, hey, I don't care if you've been going through hell. Heaven's waiting on you. I don't care how bad it's been. Heaven's waiting on you. Heaven's waiting on you.